Welcome to the Old Chick Snowship Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Arthurton. This podcast is dedicated to helping midlife women step into the inherent power and wisdom of a time of life when they often feel overlooked and underrepresented and even begin to doubt themselves. Each week, we will cover information and inspirational topics along with real stories from real women who are defying cultural stereotypes and perceptions of midlife. Women who are reinventing themselves, starting businesses, chasing their dreams, and tackling challenges they never thought possible. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Old Chick Snowship Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Arthurton. Today, we are going to be talking about the imposter complex. And I wanted to talk about this subject in particular because there is this notion out there that all my midlife women are uber confident, have no Fs to give. And the reality is, is that when we are stepping into uncharted territory, when we're trying to create something new in our lives, we're going to feel all of the things. And imposter complex is one of the things that can really hold us back. So today, my guest is Tanya Geisler, who is a certified leadership coach. She is an international TEDx woman speaker, a writer who teaches leaders how to combat their imposter complex and lead with iconic impact. I love that. So that they can achieve their ultimate goals. Uh, her clients are best-selling authors, heads of industries, MPs, public speakers, leaders, movement makers, basically people who are making an impact in the world. So I am so happy to have this conversation with you, Tanya. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so delighted to be here. And I'm like, oh, I have so many Fs to give. I have so many Fs to give. I know, I know right? All the like, Fs. <laughs> yeah. I, and I wanted to do this episode because, you know, we're not fearless. You know, we're not fearless. We're human beings, right? And yes, we're more confident in other ways, in some ways, in a lot of ways, but not necessarily in everything. So I really wanted to unpack this topic. And for the record, Tanya and I did an episode way back, like almost three years ago now on the imposter complex, which I'll link in the show notes because you should go listen to that episode. But today we're going to be unpacking what I call the midlife paradox in that, yes, we are more confident than we've ever been, but it's a bit of a double-edged sword because it's also a time of life where we doubt ourselves more than we ever have. So Tanya, tell me, how did you come to do this amazing work that you do on imposter complex? It is such a great question. It's such a tough question. So the fastest road I can get us on is I was in advertising and I was really good at it. I was great at it. But I was doing it. There was a way in which the work that I was doing was, was a little soul sucking. There, mm. there it is. It was just kind of soul sucking. And my daughter was born eight months before my mother passed. And so there was this life is short. These two huge events that sort of happened on top of each other. And then it just became really clear that I probably wasn't here to, you know, help pharmaceutical companies build a better mousetrap. Right. So it just wasn't like, it wasn't, that wasn't for me. And again, I was good at it. A friend of mine was going through a bit of a career crisis and you know how it's unacceptable when we see people around us in any kind of a crisis, even though it might be happening to us right. as well. And we're like, Oh, that's fine. That's fine. I'll just push on through. But it was unacceptable to me that she was experiencing this. So I created this beautiful experience for her, with, you know, gathered people in her life that knew her in different aspects. And we reflected all we had seen in her, which should be really powerful and what we wanted more of for her. Well, out of that super not strategic, you know, experience, she ended up discovering life coaching back in like 2000. 
2005, 2006, mm. well before, you know, we had any kind of frame of reference for it. And so then as things were happening in my own life, she said, you know, this coaching thing, that's actually what you have always been doing. <laughs> Even that experience that I ended up calling bored of your life, that's coaching. So I was like, ah, oh, crap. I guess I better right. figure out what this is all about. So I went into a certification training program and then I was like, oh yes, this is it. This is it. And part of what really solidified it for me was having my own experience with Board of Your Life where people were reflecting back to me uh, when they'd seen me really powerful, when they'd seen me, you know, really alive in flow on purpose. It was when I was in this sort of circle of care of somebody. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so that's how I found my way into coaching. And then very quickly, I started working with largely women who were all very high functioning with really beautiful values of excellence and integrity and proficiency. And I kept seeing this ribbon of experience that was running through all of their lives. And it was ended up being the imposter complex. So it was like that is so that became a, just a deep fascination. I couldn't understand how these women who'd been on, you know, literally on Oprah's couch or had been, you know, their books were on the New York Times bestselling list, still having this experience of this not enoughness. Yeah. So that's sort of how I found my way into coaching. And then with the imposter complex work, I was invited to do a TEDx talk back in 2012. And I tell you, there's nothing like being invited to do a you know, 20 minute talk to help you get real, real clear, real fast on what ideas actually really matter to you. So that's, that was the genesis yeah. of coaching and then the imposter complex. Do you think, you know, because as I'm listening to you describing your work and the th common thread that women had of, you know, no matter how accomplished they were or at what level they were in their career, underneath it was this current of, I'm still not there, I'm still faking it. Mm -hmm. Do you think everybody like has, imposter complex to some degree? Is this like a universal human condition? I believe it is. Not everybody agrees with me. And I think whew, this is one more of those long, how long is a piece of string kind of things. I believe that it, most folks who have really strong values of excellence, proficiency, and integrity are going to experience it at some point or another. When it's something really meaningful that really matters, mm -hmm. because it's about you know, making sure that we are doing our very best. I also think it's important to name that it usually happens on the precipice of something new, right? On the precipice of mm -hmm. something that is right. big and expansive. So anytime I get into a debate with somebody, they're like, I don't experience the imposter complex. Usually I'll say like, when was the last time you really swung out? Um, right. Right. Because it's like, that's where it shows up. And it's really important because, you know, I'm a white, neurotypical, able-bodied woman of middle-class means living in North America. That's not everybody else's experience. And it's important that we name that these, the farther you are away from the center of whatever the universe is structurally and systemically, you're going to have an exacerbated sense of the imposter complex. So, you know, right. I talk about this right. all the time, you know, my husband, Greg, this world that I currently live in made for him. Right. So white, neurotypical, able-bodied, cis dude living in North America. So for every concentric circle we're othered, we're going right. to have an exacerbated sense of it. So I think it's important to like recognize that we're not all experiencing it the same. And I think that sometimes when we flatten it, we miss out on that very important context and that very important nuance because, yeah, I just think it's really, I think it's really important. So 
Yes. Yeah. yeah, I think that is really important context for sure. And so my other question is, do you think women experience imposter complex more than men? That's what the data shows. We also know that there's a, you know, there's a bioevolutionary context to this, a little like fear. It's actually part of our genetic makeup to make sure that we right. don't evolve too quickly. A lot like fear, right? So right. of course we're going to experience it. And for me, it sits at both ends of our fear of success and our fear of failure because it's obsessed with us belonging. So if you're, you know, we're, we fear success, we fear failure. We understand that. We don't want to be too far behind the pack. We also don't want to be too far out front of the pack, right? So that's the, the, right. the fear of success as well. So I think that most, again, if we look at people who have those beautiful values of integrity and excellence and proficiency, who are swinging out and doing things that feel risky and that matter, there is going to be a moment where you go, who do I think I am? I'm not right. ready yet. This has already been done by smarter, more capable people than me. What am I even doing here? Or yes, I've had some great success, but that statute of limitations on my ability to do more great things has finally run out, right? So it's all of that. Or we'll look at the things that we've done and we'll say, yeah, I just got lucky or they just liked me. This is super up mm, for us. People pleasers. Yeah. Anyway, wow, wow. So much. Yeah, because one of the things that I see a lot is women discounting their own experience, right? Like, you know, instead of, you know, celebrating their accomplishments, what they're doing is, well, I just did what I had to do. Or, you know, that just happened that way. And it always saddens me because I feel like, you know, that's one of the things that holds us back from, get, you know, creating what it is that we want in our lives, right? Well, because I'm not qualified. I don't. Meanwhile, they have this list, this laundry list of like, you know, things in their lives, things in their careers that they have accomplished, challenges that they've overcome. And, you know, and it all gets discounted. Like, yeah. why, why do we do that to ourselves? And I think I see it more along wearing women than men, to be honest. Right. And that's conditioning. So to your question, like there's a way in which, you know, if we go, we follow a lot of the conditioned narratives, good girls don't brag. Good girls mm -hmm. don't take up too much space. Good girls put others in front of themselves, uh, put others ahead of themselves, right? So this creates this experience. And it is a super gendered thing for me to say, because of course, yeah. you know, it depends on how you've been conditioned. But so the embedded people pleasing, the embedded leaky boundaries, the embedded perfectionism. And frankly, perfectionism is, is a huge, like huge, huge aspect right, of white yeah. supremacy culture, right? So that's, so it's a gender thing. It's also just this idea of what's best, who's best, who sits at the top of all of that. So, so much of that is, you know, the America Ferreira monologue in Barbie, right? It's a, all about that. It's about the, that perfection ideal, a standard that yeah. folks who've been conditioned as women are going to experience, which of course sets us up for, am I doing it now? Am I doing it now? Oh man, I must be a fake, right? So it really sets that up. So from a condition perspective, 100%. I will say though that, you know, there men absolutely experience it. 
it's going to show up differently. So for me, when I talk about the imposter complex, you know, it wants to keep us out of action and wants to have us doubt our capacity and it wants to keep us alone and isolated. And how it does that, and we have these different coping mechanisms that we'll go to to avoid feeling like the imposter because nobody wants to feel like that. Yeah. And those are perfectionism, leaky boundaries, people pleasing, diminishment, comparison, and procrastination. Those are the six that we'll go to. And and so when we hide out over there and the people pleasing, they're not gonna like, I'm just gonna win them all over with my with my charm and my likability. But then when we hide out in that people pleasing, you know, then we start to think, oh man, I was only given this opportunity because they like me, not because I'm deeply skilled and brilliant and talented at what I do. Right. So this can be this double bind that gets really complicated and diminishment sort of the same, sort of the same thing. You know, diminishment is like this. We actually might feel pretty good about a thing that we're doing, but because of the conditioning, we don't want to be seen as too far up front of the pack. So we're going to dial down, dim our light. And then we start to believe that less confident bio. We start to believe that, yeah, it really wasn't a big deal. Right. That starts to embed our sense of it. It's not really a big deal. So we feel again, like the imposter. So it's this double bind that's very complicated and very complex. Yeah. So Kate, can you just repeat for me the six, the six things? Because I'm like, I think I just checked the box for all of them. (laughs) At some point along the way. (laughs) Well, that's actually a really good distinction. So yeah, so it's, it's people pleasing and leaky boundaries, comparison, diminishment, procrastination, and perfectionism. Check, 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 check. check. <laughs> yes. I mean, I think like when you're stepping out of your comfort zone, you know what I mean? Like when you're taking a risk, a place that you've never been before, like all of that feels like normal and natural responses, like physiological brain responses, yeah. right? Like to protect, like, you know, when you're about to get eaten by a lion in the savannah, right? Like all of those things, well, I'm not going to go into the savannah because, you know, blah, 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 blah. I'm going to, I mean, are they normal, natural responses? 100%. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Like human, because we're human. Yeah. 100%. So this is, yeah, they're a hundred, like, of course they are. And, and so I'm so excited that I get to say this part because this to me <laughs> is what is so meaningful about these conversations. We, you know, I, I just named it all as these like, ah, oh, they're double binds and they're the worst. You know what? My people pleasing means that I'm deeply inclusive. Mm. Right? That's mm. the golden shadow that sits inside of my people pleasing. So, and I think it's really, you know, again, the imposter complex becomes a problem when it keeps you out of action, doubting your capacity and alone and isolated. Okay. Yeah. So each one of these aspects of us though, hold what I call a golden shadow. So you're, and I think that it's really important to name them because, you know, the self-development industry is a $42 billion industry. Right. Shit ton of money yeah. invested in making people feel like crap about themselves. A lot like the diet industry, right? Like, like how do we, how do we continue to keep people hooked on improving themselves? God forbid they should feel satisfied with actually who they are. So my people pleasing, you know, there's a means I am deeply my people using means that I'm deeply inclusive. The places, you know, if you have leaky boundaries, I invite you to consider that this actually underscores a gorgeous value of generosity. Mm-hmm. Right? Comparison simply means that you are 
that connection is really meaningful for you. You're looking to see how things connect and, and trying to connect the dots, ideas to people, people to ideas, right? Diminishment might have everything to do with your value of humility. That's a good thing. Your procrastination could have everything to do with the value of discernment. And your perfectionism could have everything to do with the value of excellence and does. Hmm. I love that you just described those that way. Thank you. And when I think about leadership coaching, like that's the world I want to live in. I want to live in a world where our leaders give a shit about being inclusive and generous and, and committed to connection, right? And excellence and discernment and humility. Those are exquisite leadership properties. They only become a problem when they keep us out of action, doubting our capacity and alone and isolated. But I see them as, you know, powers for us to be able to absolutely leverage. Yeah, because, oh gosh, that's, uh, <laughs> I have like a million questions right now. My brain is firing. <laughs> like looking, like recognizing the upside, as I'm going to call it, right, of these things that where we would tend to like want to beat ourselves up, like what's wrong with me? Why do I have this thing? Right? Why am I perfectionist? When the reality is it's a gift. It's just how do we use the? How do we turn this on its end and use it as a gift as opposed to this is something wrong with me, therefore I cannot do the thing that I want to do? Like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like how empowering is that? <laughs> May it be very empowering. That is my deepest want. So for somebody who just like, oh, I'm such a perfectionist, I'm such a, I'm so bad, 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 like hand slapping, bad, bad, bad. Um, yeah. The, so I have a, a, a body of work. It's a, it's a quiz on my site called your, what is your iconic identity? And spoiler, when you present with perfectionism, so I'm going to sidebar for a second, I do this a lot. You've probably experienced in our previous conversations. When you name check, 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 you do not experience all of these, these behaviors simultaneously. You literally would not get out of bed. Like you just wouldn't, <laughs> but they do <laughs> right. ping pong off of each other. Right. It's right. like, ah, oh, I'm such a procrastinator. And then you read Mel Robbins, like, you know, five second, whatever. And you're like five, four, three, two, one, I'm out of bed. Great. I've got that handled. And then you, you know, leaky boundary shows up. So they will ping pong off of each other. So that's why I'm less invested in like confidence hacks because they don't like, you have to look at the whole structure of it to really get into and under how the imposter complex is, you know, showing up uniquely for you. But let's just say that, you know, the perfectionism is just like, just like I'm super over it. Cause I can't, can't get things done in a timely manner because this perfectionism. I would invite you to look at yourself as, you know, first of all, recognizing that you actually have this exquisite value of excellence, praise be, praise be, and that a beautiful identity for you to start to work with would be that of the CEO. Because mm. the CEO has a desire for beautiful, impeccable standards, you know, inspires other people to rise up to meet them, but also knows that you have to ship and that you also must delegate, right? If you think about your favorite mm -hmm. CEO, Beyonce is actually my, like when I think about CEO, like Beyonce is the CEO that she delegates. She makes sure that she has the best of the best. She holds the vision very strongly, but knows that it is impossible for her to do it all herself, right? And I assume at some point or another, you know, you have to recognize that we have to kind of fail fast or we have to 
yeah. any kind of opportunity for us to be able to iterate, there's always room for 2.0. So, you know, we can't stay stuck and mired in perfection else we'd never have, you know, Renaissance work. Like we just like, we just wouldn't. Right. Right. So when somebody takes your quiz, your online quiz, and I did it and I came out as a CEO, <laughs> like for full transparency for everybody listening, right? Okay. So I have this thing. Now I have this label. I'm like CEO and okay, the upside of my imposter (laughs) complex. How do I then take that and embody it? Right. So I got this place where I'm like, okay, I'm feeling all the fear. I'm like, who am I? I can't do this. Okay. I've done your quiz. Now I'm like, oh, I'm the CEO. Okay. Mm -hmm. How do I now rationalize those two places? Yeah. And then the, because, put that into a place of action. Oh my gosh, I got butterflies. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so excited. These are my favorite questions. It really comes down to how does a CEO respond to that request? How does the CEO set myself up for success? Where am I doing the things that a CEO maybe shouldn't be doing? How do I delegate more? How do I, or how do mm. I, you know, inspire other people to rise up to meet me? Am I going to be disappointed? Quite possibly, but is it in service of the greater good of the thing that I'm trying to, to impact or affect, you know, like, so how do I start to think like a CEO? So first of all, CEO, we'll keep talking about that. But for other folks, the other identities are host and maven and sage and healer and visionary. Mm-hmm. And so all of these correlate to these particular things. So like, how does a visionary move? How does a visionary respond? What is that? Like, how does a visionary spend their days? So for you, it's intended to help you be decisive about certain things, like not in the, yeah, like not in the, oh, like I'm just doing rubbing my fingers together, like in the weeds with it all. Get in the weeds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and then each of these aspects comes down to, so there are these three really fundamental parts about leading with iconic impact. They come down to integrity and presence and action. And so the perfectionism and the procrastination tend to keep us out of action. So where I look there is, you know, what is, how, like, how willing to fail are you? How's your resilience? How's your tenacity? How are you like bolstering those? Because again, a CEO has to be willing to fail. Has to, has to. So you have to like, how do I make friends with a willingness to fail? Not a desire to fail, but a willingness to fail. Right. Right. How do I cultivate more tenacity? How do I cultivate more resilience? How do I bounce back? bounce back, bounce back. And so those are the places that I would have you pay attention to. But how do I embody that? That is literally a like, that is a sticky note on your computer. What are my CEO moves today? How do I make decisions as a CEO? Have I set myself up with my conditions for success? Yeah, you're looking around for those very same things. No, you know why? (laughs) Because if I could show you right here on my bookshelf beside me is in a frame, it has the word CEO. So and I've had that there for like years. So I just recently did your your test. And I was like, Oh, Uh okay, this is interesting. And what I loved about the response to the quiz is that it took me to a level of objectivity Mm. that I couldn't quite find before. Right. So I'm like stuck in the, okay, why can't I get this thing done? What is like, and then all of a sudden it was like, oh, okay, I'm stepping out for a second. Now I can see, like you just said, like, what are the things that the CEO would do? And so it just pulled me up a level, I guess. Mm -hmm. 
to be able to see it for what it was as opposed to being mired in the emotion of it. I'm so happy to hear that. That is exactly as designed. So thank you oh, so much. Okay, I'm going to take that. I'm going to take that right back to the team because that was exactly that was the intention was for it to get us out of once again the weeds of it and to be able to see ourselves in this elevated perspective and then start to make some decisions from that place. And again, there's like only you are going to be able to recognize that. And sometimes it's going to be like, well, that wasn't a CEO move. Maybe it wasn't possible for me. What have I learned from it? Because that's what a CEO does. What did I learn from this? What did I, you know, like, what am I going to optimize now? And, you know, in fairness too, I really want to acknowledge that sometimes as a CEO, you don't always want to have to operate at such a high level all the time. Mm -hmm. And so I want to name that for people who are feeling exhausted by all this, like elevate, elevate, all the time, elevating. Oh my God, it's exhausting. So that gets to be here too. But a CEO also knows how to resource themselves. I was just going to say that. Yeah, that is your job as a CEO Mm -hmm. is to recognize where you're not resourced. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So to those of you listening, I mean, I'm going to put this in the show notes, but please go. If the words imposters complex resonate with you in any way, please go check out this quiz. It's short, but it's ridiculously informative. Like, you know, I did it myself and I was like, oh yeah, wow. Okay. This is, this is so much easier or less complex, should I say, than I was making it out to be. I'm so happy to hear. I'm so happy to hear that. And I'll also say too, like we have people who take it, you know, a different precipice point for themselves and they might get a different response because of that ping ponging way that might not be up for you right now. And now it might be the, ooh, why am I hedging on these really, really, really good ideas? Like, why am I diminishing my best ideas? Well, now it's time mm-hmm. for the visionary to come in and have their say. I'll say so many of my people tend to be visionaries, CEOs, because the diminishment and perfectionism is real. So deeply conditioned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we chatted before our interview today. And one of the things that we were talking about is how imposter complex shapeshifts with age. And I really want to get into this because I think my own experience of imposter complex, which I've had various different points of my life, has definitely shifted. And so how do you see that shift happening with people? Because I think everybody can relate to imposter complex at some point in their lives. Like, I think we, again, I don't think we would be human if we didn't have this, right? So how do you see it shape shifting with age and with experience? There are many things to say about this. Okay. So the core of my work is, again, if the imposter complex wants to keep us out of action, doubting our capacity and alone and isolated, my strategies are very much tailored to those objectives. So alone and isolated, you got to gather your people. You got to bring in the network. You got to make sure you you aren't doing any of this alone. If it wants to have you doubt your capacity, you need to root into proof positive about all that you've ever done and Mm. healed and delivered and sold and survived and done, right? And if it's going to keep you out of action, you got to figure out what's actually in the way here, right? So like, it's not rocket surgery, as we like to say, but it's like, you know, hashtag simple, not easy. So how it shapeshifts for me. I was in um, Chicago doing a speaking gig and that was, it was a tastemakers conference. It was so much fun. And that was one of the questions from the floor. Like, how does this, you know, at what age do you stop experiencing the imposter complex? And I was like, honey, bad news. (laughs) (laughs) Bad news for you. It, as long as you are continuing to swing out and, you know, you're at the precipice of your expansion, you're going to experience it. 
you will, however, have a faster recovery. And that's what this mm, is really about. Yes. You will switch the lights on much faster and go, oh, ta ta ta. I see what's going on here. Cutie, cutie, cutie. I see what's happening here. And then you can make some other decisions. My Siri keeps going off. So that's like, so it's about having a faster recovery. I couldn't, even if I wanted to, I couldn't eradicate the experience of imposter complex. It is literally part of our, you know, our our bioevolution, right? So it's not about that. It's about understanding what's going on. So I think that what happens though, is the longer, you know, if we look at that, you know, wants us to have our doubt or capacity, the longer you've been on this good earth, the more things that you have done to root in to prove positive, right? So it's less about being done with it and more at a point where it's like, oh, and I did this and I did that and I did this and I did that. And every time I jumped, I discovered that the party was on the other side of the resistance every damn time. So at a certain point, it becomes inefficient to be in the question of it, right? But it's still going to pop up, but you're going to have just much more to build upon. Yeah? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And it goes back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier about, you know, dismissing our resume of experience, whether it Mm -hmm. comes from life or career or whatever, Mm -hmm. that we have proof points. Like, there's really nothing new. Like, we're just repeating, you know, Mm -hmm. the same thing. So to your point is like going back to that resume of experience to say, oh, look, I've got this, this and this, right? Mm -hmm. That can help us get over that imposter complex hurdle quicker. Yeah. And I wouldn't even say resume, like, sure, resume of experience is so hilarious. Somebody just fairly recently, um, I had them go do, do this exercise and they came back and they're like, you know, everybody's a big eyeball roll. What have I done? What are like, what are, what are all the things that I've done? And then she came back like a week later, she's like, oh, I forgot to tell you I have a PhD. Like, <laughs> so it's, you know, it's like the things that you've done, but it's also that it's remembering that experience, right? The first time you were asked to manage the team and you're like, there's no way. And now it's like, it's like breathing, right? It's like the most natural thing. And it's more about that, like connecting to those moments where there's no way, like how could the seventh grade science fair project nomination have anything to do with me starting this new arm of my business? That has everything to do with it because there was a moment before you'd done it, you didn't think you were capable of doing it, jumped and discovered the party was on the other side of the resistance, right? Like, so it's that, but I think the part, and I think what you're pointing to as well is, the fact that we have this, like, we have so much of this experience, like, so maybe there's this perspective or this perception that, that because there's nothing new under the sun, like, we should be steeped in all of this confidence. To which I'd say, as long as we're swinging out and doing things that feel big and we've never been here before, hi, never been here before, my body yeah. does what now? Excuse me? All of a <laughs> right. sudden, I can't read that? Like what? You know, so we're like, we're at the precipice of something new again. So of course it's going to show up. And then I think the other part of this is, and I'll, maybe I'm just speaking for myself here. And I named this in my TEDx talk quite a while ago, you know, we know more than we think and we'll never Mm. know it all. Yes. And I think the closer, like the older we get with the more we understand the truth of that. And that's, you know, there's grief here and there's relief here. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. I just got goosebumps as you as you were saying that and like not trusting ourselves, I think is another like, incredibly important thing, like not trusting ourselves to be able to, okay, maybe we've, you know, jumped that hurdle once we've gone through that experience, but then not necessarily trusting ourselves to be able to do it again. Right. Oh, yeah. 
again, that statute of limitations has finally run out. Right. Like, it's, like it's suddenly run out, right? Like, right. it's just run out. Like, I, now I'm never going to be able to do that ever again. You know? So what if you just dared to believe that it's going to continue as long as you keep showing up to the table with your skills and your will and your talent and your everything that you have built to this precise moment is actually going to continue to sustain you just as it always has. Right. Oh, that is so good. There's one other thing I'm hoping I can just like, I just want to name this just in t- again, yeah. in terms of like the age thing, because this was so interesting to me. And I actually hadn't realized maybe it was for this precise moment that I did this. I was invited to speak at a national conference for the Society of Women Engineers. And I was invited to do a keynote for the entire event and then do two smaller main stage rooms for collegiates. So like collegiate engineers just out of university colleges, and then one for C-suite blokes, so senior, senior, senior women in engineering. So this is like VP, Google, Microsoft, like really, you know, women who are at the top, top, top of their game, and then folks who are just at the beginning of their career. So just kind of as a bit of a thought experiment, I decided to do, I mean, I've talked about the same framework that I've had for a billion years, because it continues to (laughs) stand the test of time. So I, you know, I talked about this idea of making sure that you, you know, that you are meeting the critics, understanding what's in the way, bolstering your authority thesis, making sure that you're optimizing all that you've already done, and then assembling the cast, making sure that you're leaning into your network, actually allowing yourself to be supportive, asking for the help, all of that stuff, right? All very rich, layered nuance, but it's still, those are basically the tenets of it. Well, the moment we got to that part about asking for help, immediate arms crossed, and like the collegiates stop listening. They're like, nope, nope, can't trust others. There are only so many spots at the top. I got to do this myself. It, it, so it was just this extremely visceral. I was like, oh, that's so interesting. And then the next day, I think it was, I did basically the same, I mean, like obviously some difference, but di- the same talk-ish with these, you know, high-powered women at the top of their game. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. Snap, 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 snap. I would be nowhere if it weren't for the the kinship, the mentorship, the support of other women in particular. But if it weren't for that, I would be nowhere. So there's something that happens where over time we recognize that your people want you to succeed. Not everybody, but your people want you to succeed. And so as we get older, we have this greater sense of that. And so I think that that also helps significantly and organically with our imposter comics, because we have more comfort in being able to say, God damn, that was hard. Was it hard? Yeah, that was really hard. I see what you did there. I've got like, you know, so that starts to become much more a function of our lives. So I think that's in part why it shifts as well, because we have deeper roots, deeper relationships, and it makes it a lot more. It just makes it easier. So I have a lot to say about this one. How does asking for help? So let me just put this in context. I didn't learn the asking for help lesson until much, much later on. Call me a late bloomer, whatever you want to call it, right? But I was in the, I used to be, and especially this was true of my corporate career, I used to be in the, I have to do it all thing, right? To the point that I literally burned myself out, right? How does asking for help relate to the imposter complex? So, Is it, yeah. 
How long is a piece of string? So there are 12 lies of the imposter complex that we would have talked about a while ago. One of them is asking for help is for the week. Asking for help is for the right. week. Right. So of all of the 12 lies of the imposter complex, so I love my gold stars. So when I did my TEDx talk, I named one of the foremothers of this idea, imposter phenomenon. It was coined by clinical psychologist Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imes back in 1978. Somebody heard my talk and said, oh, cool, 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 that you actually referenced them. Not everybody does that. So Pauline Clance and I became chummy. So I sent her these 12 lies because I wanted the gold star from the foremother of this concept. And she was like, one through 11, like nailed it, nailed it, nailed it. This uh, asking for help is for the week gives me a bit of pause. Now, remember, (laughs) she was doing her academic work back in 1978, when asking for help as a woman in academia was actually a liability. We now live in a world where we actually have a more fundamental understanding that asking for help simply means that you're serious about your success. We just Mm -hmm. get that and understand it culturally. It doesn't mean that it's comfortable, right? Because of course, because of the perfectionism and the hypervigilance and the, you know, I can do it myself and all of that, like it, it doesn't make it easier, but we understand intellectually that it makes all of the difference. Now, again, it is very layered. Not everybody wants mm-hmm. you to succeed, but your people do. Yeah. And I think that's a really important distinction. So we've, yeah. we've asked the wrong people for support. They have not shown up to meet us. We've dealt with the disappointment. We've dealt with the betrayal. We've like, we've experienced all that. That makes it really hard to continue to reach out for that kind of support. So our job is to figure out who our people actually are and how to ask them and what it actually means. We need to take down some of the gravitas of it. Because again, the imposter complex wants to keep you alone and isolated, meaning you got to do this in the silo. You got to, you got to experience this on your own. Yeah. Yeah. And I can see how that shifts with age because as you become more authentically yourself, you tend to hone your circle a lot tighter (laughs) and know who the players are that are your people. Right. And so being able to, so that makes sense then from, you know, that group of women. Yeah. Over time, they're like, oh, okay, so not everybody, but my people and boy, will my people show up. And again, that's not to suggest like, again, hashtag simple, not easy, because not everybody has found their people. And that can feel really, really, that can feel really hard. So I understand that too. So it's important to find those communities of like minded folks, and really invest the time and energy in it. And sometimes people ask me, you know, what do you mean when you talk about your people? And I was hoping that it was like right here, but it's kind of hidden. Uh, Nayara Wahid in Salt, a beautiful book of poetry, talks about this is how you know. So I think I'm, I'm hoping I get this right. But some people, when they hear your story, contract. Other people, upon hearing your story, expand. And this is how you know. Oh, that is so interesting. So, so your people are the people that expand with you, right? That want to expand with your expansion and the people who, you know, can't be with it, they're going to contract. And that's, and that's how, you know, and I think that we spend a lot of time, I will say for myself, you know, the relationships that just simply don't serve any longer have been that have had that contracting kind of quality. Yeah. And so can asking for help also be in the form of hiring a coach or like sure. that type of stuff? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. It can be a coach. It can be you know, mentor. It could be asking for sponsorship inside of an organization. Yeah. I mean, any, any which way. It's funny though, because sometimes 
I have found, and I think that it's obviously as a coach, I love when people, you know, want to get that kind of really, really, really external perspective where it's really all about them. It's like there's a quality of reverence that shows up and it's just like, I really want to bring my absolute best and I want somebody's perspective on this because it's never going to be entirely clean when you're, you know, in, yeah. So like with a, with a peer or colleague or a friend, they're not going to have the same trained ability to see the whole of you without projection. That's the projection free, you know, perspective that a coach can offer you. Yeah. So I kind of lost my train of thought there and that's all good. So yeah, 100%. But I think it's the, oh, that's what it was. And sometimes I hear people say, listen, I'm great at hiring for help, but I'm not great at asking for help. And I feel like that's an important distinction. I feel like everybody asking for help, whether it's in addressing imposter complex, in helping chart the career path, in making sure that they're not doing more of the invisible load in the household, right? Like it's in all of the different ways, but we have to get, I mean, I'll just say asking for help is not actually my edge. It's not my edge. I'm actually great at asking for help. <laughs> my edge is in doing it myself. Right. That's right. my edge. Right. Well, and you know, in my own reinvention journey, let's say, you know, when I knew I wanted to change my life and I didn't like everybody around me, all of my friends, you know, my peers were people who looked and thought and acted just like me. And I was yeah. like, okay, I need a different perspective. Like I need yes. somebody who's going to show me the things that I can't see. And I didn't have that in my immediate peer group. So I knew I had to kind of step beyond that to be like, okay, I need somebody to come from a completely different walk yeah. of life to yeah. show me what I can't see. Yes, absolutely. That was a very cool thing about that board of your life experience because that was the invitation. Like reflect back what you see about this person. And it was really very, it was very interesting, but it was impossible for people to not see them through the lens of their own lived experience. So for me, you know, we, you know, one of my best friends is a doctor. So she saw me through this helping healing lens. Another dear friend of mine is, you know, writes for the New York Times. So she's a bureau chief in, in Paris. So she saw me through the lens of, my writing. Uh, you know, so other people would see me through those really specific lenses. So it was interesting. It's like, oh, I am part of people's circle of healing and helping. I am a writer, right? Like all of these different things. And then a friend who was in advertising with me, she's like, you love facilitating a meeting. You love being I'm like, oh, that like, so all of these things were true, but they were through the lens of that person's perspective. Super cool, but also not entirely clean, shall we say. Right. Whereas a coach is like, Self-management, one-on-one, like our job is to not yeah. be attached. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's it's just so helpful and even just like your experience. Like, I mean, it's helpful to see those different dimensions of yourself reflected 100%. back because we're different so with cool. all different people, right? And then, you know, the layer of a coach who can see you without <laughs> any of that past experience and just sees you for what you are in this present moment. Like, I find that incredibly valuable. Um, cause a lot of me, like a lot of what I was trying to do, and I don't know, you know, for people who are listening, like I was literally trying to not carry forward a lot of things that had not served me. So I needed somebody to see me where I am right at this particular moment. <laughs> right. And then how to go forward. So it's, it's just such an interesting perspective. Mm -hmm. May I reflect one more thing to you? Yes, please do. So as CEO, where I would have you looking for yourself is this like, we need Jennifer on more stages, y'all. So 
we need Jennifer on more stages. We need her like out on the stages. So as CEO, that's where we're like put on the CEO hat. How do we like really cultivate this already beautiful, robust speaking arm of your business? But like, where's the support that we need? Who do we need to ask? Like, where do we need to delegate? Come on now. Yeah, I mean, that is so true. I mean, you know, speaking on stages is my second favorite thing to do after this podcast, because it's literally like, all about how can I use my voice to, you know, empower and inspire. So yeah, it's pretty amazing. Oh, this has been such a great conversation. Where can people find out more about you and your work? Like if anyone here is resonating with the whole topic of imposter complex, where can they go? So I would honestly do the quiz first. I would do tinygeisler.com slash quiz because even if you're not resonating with the imposter complex full writ, you may recognize the spaces of diminishment or perfectionism or comparison, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so you might like, you know, imposter complex has really become kind of a hotbed naming for lots of reasons. First of all, you know, imposter syndrome, co-ops medical term, that's why I don't call it that. There's a lot of like, you know, sometimes organizations will bring imposter complex folks in to basically gaslight their people and say, this is your problem, but they don't actually offer any institutional ground cover. So it's like, "Mm, might not be an individual's issue, it might actually be leadership, right? So there's a way in which it's been a kind of a fraught conversation. So you might even be listening to this and going, yeah, this imposter complex conversation makes me uncomfortable, but go do the quiz because then you're going to see how the comparison and perfectionism, the procrastination, all those places where maybe you've been making yourself wrong are actually opportunities for you to step into what I call your iconic identity. And so tinygeisler.com slash quiz first place. I'm on Instagram, probably more than any place else at Tanya Geisler. I'm sometimes on LinkedIn. We have a bit of a lover's quarrel from time to time, but um, <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm there as well. So those are the places. Amazing. Oh, this has been so good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having this conversation with me today. I mean, we could go many levels deeper on any number of topics within this topic, which we might have to in subsequent uh, episodes. But for those of you listening, I encourage you, you know, if you're stepping out of your comfort zone in any way, if you're questioning your own abilities, even if the words imposter complex resonate with you and you don't fully understand why, like, please head on over to tanyageisler.com and dig in. I mean, she's got a wealth of resources there. The quiz, I absolutely agree. Start with the quiz because that was super eye opening for me. Yeah. And go check it out. You have to go check it out. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I've just been so delightful and your care for your audience is so palpable. So I'm really honored that you shared me with everybody. Um, And I can't wait to share a stage with you soon, Jennifer. We will. We will absolutely share a stage one day. So to those of you listening, I hope you got some insight, some inspiration, some education from this episode. If you liked what you heard today, please feel free to go leave us a rating or a review or even better yet, pass this along to somebody who you think might get something out of it. So until next time. Thank you for listening to the Old Chicks No Shit podcast. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give is to share this podcast with a friend, subscribe, rate and review our podcast on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen in.